Philippians chapter 2. That's going to be where we're going to be this evening. I actually am doing the same thing that Pastor Tony's doing in Emerge, in our Bible study on Sunday morning, talking about um, what fellowship really is, explaining what community life and what, what the Bible calls fellowship. And uh, I'm actually going to do something that I share with my group this morning, um, and it's, it's called The Great Dilemma of Community, which the community is the modern, I guess we would say, modern-day word for fellowship in the Bible. Um, so we'll explain a little bit about that in a second. Um, but I wanted to kind of preface this and explain to you that I absolutely love our church. Um, I really do. I think it's a very special, special place. If uh, you are a guest with us tonight, I encourage you to come back and on a Sunday morning worship hour, or even next Sunday night, and hear our pastor preach the Word of God. He's a great leader. We love him. And he was the bald man who was up here just a few moments ago. And uh, he's a, de- a very dear friend. And we, we, I encourage you to come back and uh, get a chance to hear him uh, and preach the Word of God. So act, or Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're talking about the great dilemma. So here's what I would say that I believe from my own personal life that I personally struggle with and a lot, uh, with a great deal. And it was talking about this idea of self-centeredness. I think we all struggle with self-centeredness to some extent. How many of you guys would honestly, openly admit that you sometimes see a flare-up of being selfish? Would you raise your hand in here? All right, that's good. We are honest tonight. Fantastic. Well, here's what I've realized. It's a normal desire to want what we want, but oftentimes when we do this, we'll marginalize God's desires for our life. In other words, you know, we'll push the, the God's plans and God's wants to the side of our life, and we just kind of focus in on what we want. And when we do that, it kind of skews the vision of God's desire. It kind of skews our vision of who God is, because all we're thinking about is ourself. And so I'm considering that to be a serious dilemma, and it really affects when we're, we're talking about this whole idea of, of, of fellowship inside of the local church. Selfishness at the root is coming from pride. And if, we're, if we have to admit this, we, we are struggling with this issue. Everything that pastor's talking about uh, concerning fellowship and, and, and authentic Christianity will never, fr- you'll never, you'll never see the fruit of it. You'll never see any product of it unless this topic is addressed in your hearts. It's got to be addressed. Are we selfish? Are we prideful? Because we need to examine it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to walk you through just a few verses um, of, of what, the Paul, what the Paul calls, or who Paul calls, a godly man. And it's uh, his son in the faith, Timothy. And I want to read you this passage of scripture. We're going to pray, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it, um, about having, how this mindset will mess our life up. But um, listen to this. Listen to how the Bible clarifies to us the type of man that Timothy is. Starting in verse 19, Paul is writing the church at Philippi, and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know of your state. See, P- Paul is writing this letter from jail. And he's sending this letter to a church that he loves dearly. But Timothy, his son of the faith, is traveling with him. And he's in jail, but he's not locked up in, in chains. But he, so he's able to get around. Uh, but he's saying, I want to send Timothy to you because I love you guys. I haven't forgotten about you, church. You're still very dear to my heart. And then he clarifies why he's sending Timothy to the church. And he says, verse 20, For I have no man that's like-minded. I want you to circle that word, like-minded. I want to come back to that in just a few moments. He says, who, who will naturally care for your state, for all, everyone I know in the ministry, and even people that are Christians, everyone, all seek their own, not the things which are Christ or which are Jesus Christ's. 
And that's a very powerful statement. He knows a lot of people, and for him to say that is pretty big. All right? And continuing in verse 22. But you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, soon as, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. He loves the church, and so his best remedy to, to, to helping the church is to send Timothy to them. And by the way, I think it's important for you to know, in the New Testament, there's only one man that's attributed this description, a man of God, and that man is Timothy. That's significant, because in the Old Testament, there's a lot of people called men of God. David was a man of, of God. You've got all these prophets that were men of God. But in the New Testament, only one man is called, quote-unquote, a man of God, Timothy. So there's a lot we can learn about this man, Timothy, when it relates to protecting ourselves from selfish uh, agendas or, or pride. Because evidently, he didn't struggle with that to the degree that we see other people struggling with it. So let's, let's pray, ask God for, for insight as we dig into the scriptures tonight, and uh, ask God for grace. Lord, I pray, I pray and ask for grace tonight. I ask that you will give me um, an uncanny ability to preach the word of God with clarity. Lord, I know in my own heart there's a lot of distractions. I, I know that there's things in my mind that could wait or could weigh against me um, as I preach. But I pray that your truth would be extenuated, that we could all apply the principles that we're going to pull from the life of Timothy and, and, and apply them to our lives so that we can have authentic Christianity. We can be an, a true biblical fellowship. And I pray, God, that you will help us see this nasty weed of self-centeredness, egocentric, narcissistic, whatever you want to call it, we struggle with it, and we need grace to help us with it. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, I tell you, I, I, I could never think of a better way of illustrating this to you than um, something that's kind of funny that happened to me whenever Beck and I first got married. Let me explain before I get there. I really am convinced that our self-centeredness is like, it, it really skews our vision of God. How many of you guys have ever had cataract surgery before on, on your eyes? All right, some of you guys have had that. I dread the day is going to come to me. Um, I went to the doctor recently. The doctor said, you've got really bad eyes. I said, what's the remedy? Stop reading. I said, I can't stop reading. Are you kidding me? That's what I do for a living. So I'm not. And by the way, I'm a Christian. You know, so, you know, so I can't stop reading, and I love to read. Uh, but he said, you've got to stop doing something because your eyes are getting worse. So anyway, I really believe that the self-centeredness is like a cat. Uh, what do you call them? cataract on our eyes. We've got this massive thing on our eyes and it hinders us from seeing God. So I, this is a funny way of illustrating it, but when Beck and I first got married, we had no kids. I mean, it was, it was nice. I mean, now we've got more kids than an orphanage, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, I tell people all the time that I went from playing man-to-man defense to zone. Uh, it's just out, out of control. You know, it's, Beck, you take the left side. I'll take the right side. All right, we go. I get the car. You know, it's just crazy, um, especially on the way to church. But um, uh, nonetheless, before we had kids, we had, I, I just, it was really nice. I mean, my wife and I, we would go on these romantic dates, you know, I, man, I was the man. I, well, I still am the man, but I mean, I would do, not that I'm not now, but I just feel like kids kind of distract you a little bit, you know, and uh, so now we get like a date, one date night, like every month or something. It used to be like every week we'd just go hang out. So anyway, my, my friend, the best man in my wedding was getting married in North Carolina, 
and he invited me to go to this wedding and be in the wedding. You know, and I wasn't his best man, which is messed up. But anyway, um, so I went to this wedding, and, I, you know, my wife and I were just made like a little romantic getaway. You know, we were just going to have fun. It was going to be awesome. And uh, so we get to North Carolina and get in the hotel. And, I mean, I stepped it up a notch. I mean, I got a nice hotel. You know, I'm not going to, I mean, we're on a date, you know. So it was awesome. Got a nice hotel right in North Carolina. After the rehearsal was over, went there. We just relaxed, you know, just hung out. And uh, it was time to go to bed. So she's, you know, she has, she has to wear contacts. Um, and so she's got really bad eyes. Anyway, so she's got, her bad eyes are really bad. Um, so she's, she forgot her glasses at home, though. She didn't pack her glasses, which is a problem um, because when you take your contacts out, you can't see anything, okay? And so, you know, I'm trying to make this as romantic as possible, you know? I mean, I got candles, you know, I'm doing everything I can to really spice this up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this. And so next thing you know, she tells me she don't have her glasses. I said, well, just take your eyeballs out. You know, that's what she does, take her eyeballs, contacts out. And so she takes them out. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've got the lights, you know, dimmed a little bit and turned off. You know, go to, go to a bed, go to a nice, have a romantic night. So next thing you know, she, sure enough, the, uh, she, I turn off all the lights, I guess, and she runs smack into the wall smack into the wall and I mean I'm like are you see I mean hard right in the wall and, they, and she's moaning oh oh and so I, I turn lights back on real quick I said what's the matter what's the matter she says I, I hit the wall I hit the wall my eye it's gonna be all black and blue and we're gonna be in pictures it's gonna be ugly and I'm gonna be deformed and you know, all these things are going through her head and I just remember oh my goodness man my my my, my incredible date night just went completely you know so and and so I the, the, the truth of the matter is when you think about this as it relates to Christianity, in my personal spiritual life, you know, whenever we have something that's affecting our vision of God, um, it really messes up everything. We'll find ourselves running into obstacles all the time, running into, you know, we, we frustrate. We run into big walls in our Christianity, and it stunts our growth. Well, I'm telling you that if we don't address this issue of uh, our skewed vision um, concerning our selfishness, we're never going to actually see God do great things. We're never actually going to experience true, authentic fellowship. So here's my, 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 my state. I'm going to call it my thesis, my, my proposition. Here it is. I'm challenging you that we've got to get to the point where we choose to live a life that is gospel-centered. We have a gospel-centered vision with how we live, how we function. In other words, it's no, it's no longer about my, my individuality, my, my, my own personal life. It's about the gospel. I want to see the gospel have a full effect in my life. And I want to look through it from that lens. So um, let, me, let me walk you this. Apparently, that's exactly what's going on with Timothy, according to this passage, because he did, every Bible says in verse 20, in verses 20 and through the following, that, that Timothy apparently did not struggle with the idea of himself. He was focused on other people. Let's, let's read this text, all right? I'm going to show you the first thing that I think is interesting about the, how we can actually have a, a gospel-centered vision. Verse 20 says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, you could put own interests, not the things that are Jesus Christ's. So from this text, I realize that the, the first thing that will help us cultivate a gospel-centered vision is by prioritizing the things that interest Jesus. Prioritizing the interests of Jesus. So we've got to find out what is Jesus interested in. Because when we find out what Jesus is passionate about, we're going to be able to have a gospel-centered vision. We're going to be able to focus on what really is important with our existence. Why do you come to church? What's the purpose of being a Christian? So that's what we're talking about here. Timothy saw something that a lot of other people apparently did not see. 
And so it has something to do with what Jesus is interested in. Let me break it down. First of all, I had you circle that word like-minded. The reason is because when he says that he's like-minded to Paul, that means he's like his soul is knit with Paul's. The things that Paul were thinking about were the things that Timothy was thinking about. He was like a, like a mentor to Timothy. He, he was molded by Paul. He was shaped by Paul's theology. He was shaped by Paul's passion. I mean, his soul, his mind, his, his, his emotion, it was all like Paul's. It was like a little spitting image of Paul. For, like tonight, on the way to church, my son, I went to go pick my family up, and my son, my wife got them all dressed and he doesn't always get dressed very easily. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And so my wife will say, oh, Landon, you look just like your hunk of, hunk, my, your hunk of dad, basically. Your dad's a hunk muffin, you know. So you look like your daddy. And you know when, he said, when, I, when she tells him that, he gets all proud. You know, he's all he, easy to get him dressed when he tells me he looks like his daddy because he wants to be like his daddy. You know, and someday he'll be as cool as his daddy. But, you know, it just, that's, it works. And so that's essentially what Paul's saying. You're like me. He's like me, church. He gets it. He's, he's not focused on himself. And he clarifies what he means when he says he's like-minded to Paul. He says in verse 21, he says, For the, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And, and, and I want to slow down a little bit because there's, some, there's a small little uh, mark in your Bible that really extenuates the depth of this passage. All right? Notice the, I'm gonna, it's the uh, apostrophe under, at, the, at the last, or above the last letter of, G, of Christ's, it says that, that not the things which are Jesus Christ's. So apparently everybody else was seeking their own things, but Timothy had his heart and his focus on the things of Jesus Christ. So the reason why I had you extenuate that, I, that apostrophe is because it's talking, it's a possessive word. So Jesus, he's talking about something that Jesus possesses. So let me ask you a question. What is it that, that Jesus holds dear to him that he considers to be a very valuable treasure that he possesses, that he loves, that he cherishes? He'll do anything for her. He'll, he'll love her. He'll do whatever it takes to be with her. What is it that he, Jesus Christ is passionate about? Anybody know? The church. It's exactly right. He's saying Timothy is just like it. He gets it. He gets it. He understands what Jesus prioritizes, and it's the bride. Jesus prioritizes the bride. That's what Jesus is interested in the most. So what I'm trying to tell you tonight is, the number one way you and I can uproot pride in our lives is by prioritizing the passion, genuinely caring for the thing that matters most to Jesus. It's his bride. When we start seriously getting a full panoramic view of how big of a deal church really is, it'll start changing the way you live inside this church. It'll start changing the way you live outside this church. Because when you and I understand how valuable you and you and you are to Christ, it's going to change the way you talk to that person. It's going to change the way you react to that person whenever they say something out of context. Because what happens is there's a genuine love there. And the bride is, you know, the bride of Christ is kind of a mess. I mean, you know, like Jenny's saying, we're innocent. We are, we are un, we're not guilty as we stand before God. But yet, we all struggle with sin. 
We battle sin. So there are ugly parts of our lives that are not quite made whole yet. And so whenever you get mad at your brother or your sister inside the church and you speak bad of them, what you're doing is you're speaking bad of the bride of Jesus. Do you understand that? Do you get this? So it's critically, it's like slapping the bride of Jesus when you offend your brother or your sister in the church. That's not good. (laughs) Let me tell you, Think about it if you're married and somebody were to walk up to your bride and start speaking bad about your bride. I mean, that ain't going to make you happy. Now, thank God Jesus is more patient with us. You know, he's not going to send lightning bolts down necessarily. But I want to encourage you, this ought, to, this ought to change the way you view your, other people in this church. You know, if you're one of those people that will, here's what I want you Timothy apparently spoke well. He thought well of the church. He, he, he spoke well about the church. He invested in her. He invested in the people. He cherished them. He, he cared about them. There was this authentic union with the church. Genuine interest. If my wife, if I were to leave town and I asked you to take care of my wife, take care of her, genuinely watch after her, what am I asking you to do? Am I asking you to just say hi to her on Sunday morning, shake her hand, how are you? So glad you're here. What am, I'm asking you to watch after. Help her with the groceries, with these three little minions running around everywhere. I mean, I mean help her, with, help her with, the, with the most practical things. Be involved. Be aware of what's going on in her life. That's what it means to be genuinely concerned about the bride of Christ. That's what it means to prioritize the interest of Jesus. See, we could talk about it all day long, but let's be serious. We're too self-centered to do that. We're, we're too concerned about our own lives to really want to do that. Most of us struggle with that. I mean, why should I care about you? You ain't going to care about me. And so what we'll do is we'll speak bad about that person when they're not around. Can I say something? I, God has given me an incredible opportunity. Us, our, our college ministry is developing an, an inroad into OSU campus to where we can bring a lot of these lost kids to, to our church. I'm going to say something very transparent with you because I want you to know this. I am very concerned about inviting college students to our church, if, I'm, if I heard, t- just today, I heard today, several times today, well, more than once, put it that way, of people that were hurt by other people in the church because something was said about them behind their back. Let me say something. And, and you say, well, that, that's, not, that's not really a big deal. I mean, everybody speaks bad. If you speak bad about that person, you're hurting Jesus. And quite frankly, I don't know that I want to bring a lot of lost people to church. Because they get enough of, that, that, enough of that out there. I want, I want there to be a gospel-centered passion in our hearts where we get it. It's not about us. It's not about what, what, making ourselves look better. Are you really kidding me? Do you really think you look all that good? I mean, let's just be honest about it. You got a mess going on in your heart just like everybody else in this whole building does. And so here's the truth. We need to be honest. All right, we have to be, tra- you, I need to be fully known and you need to be fully known, confessing our sins to each other, all right, being honest about it, I need you, You're, you and I are part of this incredible thing that Jesus calls the bride of Christ, and he's passionate about it, and so should we. All right, so I want to continue this thought. So the first thing I want to emphasize that Timothy apparently understood is that he prioritized the interests of Jesus. What made the most priority to Jesus was the most priority to Timothy. The second thing I noticed from this simple brief text about Timothy was that he portrayed the image of Jesus. Now, 
This is an incredible passage. It's an incredible verse of scripture. I want to take you to verse 22. Listen to what he, this is how he portrays this gospel, this Jesus image to those who are around him. Verse 22 says, For, or, but you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. There's two words I want to point out to you in this, this little verse. First word is served. That word is doulos, all right, in the Greek. And what that means is it's a bond slave, all right? It's someone that has been set free um, but yet decides to be a slave again. Now, in our culture, in our Western culture, we have a skewed vision of what slavery really is. The Bible talks a lot about slavery. And in our, in our background here, we have a lot of... We're looking from the, a corrupt version of slavery. But in the Greco-Roman society, they understood what slavery was. And it wasn't all bad necessarily in the way they handled it. What happened was they, these people, these lords, these masters were very wealthy people. that would, Some of them would genuinely be cared, caring for their, their slaves because they helped them work the field and they invested in their slaves. And they were owned by the, these, these masters and they would work well for them. Well, eventually the slave became free. He was given his independence. But the slave decided, you know what? I have my independence. I'm self-autonomous. But the truth is, I don't want to be out by myself anymore because I know, I'm convinced that what I have with this master, with this Lord, is far better than what I could ever have in my own self-autonomy, in my my own independence. It's better over there than it is by myself, is what he's saying. And so, you know, what he... The reason why he's, what he's saying in this passage is that Timothy understood what it meant to become a slave of Jesus. He was a slave of Jesus. See, he was set free from, from, from his sin and from his death. He was freed by, by all that Jesus gave him. But yet he said, Jesus, I, I just I want to be with you. I want you to be the, the Lord and master of my life. I'm going to do what you ask me to do because you're far better than anything else I could do on my own. Let me speak to a, um, a group of people in here directly. If you are a skeptic, and I'm so glad you're coming. If you're a skeptic and you're not quite convinced that Jesus really is the answer um, for your life. Um, I know this may sound crazy to you, but this passage is really extenuating to us that he really is far better. He's, far, he's more than enough than what you could ever want or dream. So what I'm challenging you to do is believe this. Believe this truth that, that Jesus really is all that your soul is looking for. And those of you who have, under, who have been saved by Christ, you, you've experienced authentic transformation. Do you understand this? Have you ever said, you know what I want to be? I want to submit myself to this, this God, this, this Lord over all, because I'm convinced that he's better. Because if you do that, I guarantee you, you won't have an issue with pride as much as you do right now. But the truth is, some of you guys, by the way, you ever, you ever talk to someone who's self-centered and that are completely oblivious that they're self-centered? Doesn't that frustrate you? You're like, oh, no, did you know that what they did to me? That was so wrong. I cannot believe that they said that to me. I cannot. They are so, you see, they're just mean to everybody. I, just, I don't even want to be around them. All right, I'm acting like a woman. They're not all women either, by the way. So um, I'm acting like a woman. All right, so the, the truth is, you know, those people, the ones who, who think that they're not, um, that they don't really struggle with self-centeredness, um, those usually are the ones who struggle the most with it. So, if you struggle with it, you admit this, you see areas of your life where, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do, I'm very selfish. I don't, I'm not really interested in, in what's going on in your life right now. I'm really not. I'm just being honest. I don't even want to, I'm a pastor, and I'm not interested in what's going on in life. That's good. That's step one. You admitted to it. 
But the truth of the matter is, are you, you don't need to stay there. You need to get a gospel-centered vision of your life. Understand that Jesus is better than what you could ever want. So I want to submit to him and be, let him be the Lord. I'll be the slave. And, and what, notice what else happened in this text. It says that he was a slave with Paul in the gospel. So very interesting phrase, that phrase, in the gospel, that it's, you wouldn't usually say it like that. But what he's trying to explain, that word in, it means to walk inside of something, to walk into a room, all right? So he's saying, I want to be a slave to Jesus and love people with a relentless passion just like Jesus did. Pause, let me say this. I think this is very important. Same passage, same chapter, but drop, jump over to verse 7. Do you know who illustrated what a biblical scope of a slave looks like perfectly? Jesus did. Jesus was a slave. What? All right, let me show you. Verse 7, chapter 2. But made himself of no reputation. Speaking of, this is the gospel, folks. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus did for you. All right? But made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Greek word, doulos. What does it mean in English? Slave. He became a slave. That literally changes everything. If Jesus became a slave for other people to be saved, what the heck is going on in your heart that's preventing you from wanting to be a slave to Jesus? He's the master. He's the example. And apparently, there's a far better way of living life as a slave underneath the great provider God than what we get in our own. So continuing the thought, he says he was a slave in the gospel. Timothy understood something. He was a slave in the gospel. So that literally conveys this thought as well. He was a slave loving people intentionally, leading them into the gospel. He would love people with a relentless passion to the point where they would walk face to face into the physical manifestation of Jesus' love. So this is how it looks. All right, let me give you an example. I go to OSU campus. That's my context. I go to OSU campus and I make a friend with a guy who's you know, who just got done with a party on a Friday night, okay? And I'm over at the campus, and I'm drinking coffee at one of the coffee shops out there. And he's coming in, he's staggering, he's a mess, all right? And I'm, I'm hanging out with him, saying, hey, man, listen. Hey, I know you got exams coming up, man. You're crazy. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, have some coffee. Let me talk, spend some time talking to you. And I start building this friendship out of nowhere. I just spend this, spend this, build this friendship with him. And next thing you know, I'm developing this and cultivating this. I, I call him, I text him throughout the week. I'm interested in his life. I'm genuinely concerned about what's going on in his life. And what happens is he starts texting me back, all right? And, and, and then something horrible happens. Something drastic happens in his life, all right? Hits rock bottom. And who's, he's, who does he call? He calls the guy who showed genuine interest in his life, who was relentlessly pursuing a friendship with him with authentic love. He's not going to call the guy who he got drunk with, who can't even remember his name. He's going to call the guy who showed love to him. By the way, did you know Timothy didn't possess any, we don't ever read in the Bible that he possessed any some healing gifts like the apostle had. He wasn't healing people. He wasn't giving sight to blind people. You know, because I always say, man, Jesus, if I had gifts like the apostles, I'd have a bunch of people believing in the gospel. I mean, I could be a great evangelist. The truth is, Timothy didn't have that. The only thing that Timothy had was love. And according to 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians 13, that is the number one greatest gift that the church possesses. It's not the gift of tongues. It's not the gift of healing. It's not the gift of faith. It is the gift of love. And when we love with that kind of a passion, what happens is these people are going to have questions and who they're going to come to us. And that what's going to happen is, why do you love me so much like this, Joe? 
Why do you care so much about me? And they take a step back and they look. Wait a minute. This is like Jesus. Jesus loves me like this. He's, you're, you're, th- th- you're just like Jesus. And what they realize is they've come face to face with the physical present, the physical manifestation of the bride of Christ who is projecting the image of Jesus. We are little Jesuses, according to what the term Christian means. That's who we are. So I challenge you, embrace that. Embrace it. Pr- project, pro- you know, portray this image of Jesus to other people. Walking people into the gospel. That's so, that's so amazing. To serve people with so much sincerity and relentless love that it leads them right into a physical presence of Jesus Christ. That's what he means in here. He, he served with me in the gospel. Timothy was a slave to Jesus and loved people. All right, so I, w- I find it interesting that in Scripture, the night before Jesus died, or the night before Jesus laid his life down, the Bible mentions two different types of basins that were used. All right, I'm gonna, I think this is a pretty interesting thought, and I'm going to close with this. I, I ran into somebody that called it basin theology. And I was like, what? What's basin theology? So I asked him questions, and he explained this to me. He said, basin theology, there's two different basins in the New Testament the night before Jesus died. One basin, I'm talking about a water basin here. <clears throat> One basin was used by Pontius Pilate to wash his hands with. And he says, I wash my hands of the sick, sick madness. Sick madness. Every time I think of that, I think, I think of uh, Mr. Browning. He did that so well at our pageant. And it, of course, he didn't stutter like I just did. Um, but it was, it was very powerful. And so I wash my hands of the sick madness. He was saying, I'm done with this. I'm done with these people. I don't want nothing to do with these people. They make me frustrated. I just want them to be out of my life. Nothing they do is ever encouraging me. Nothing they do is ever promoting me. I don't want nothing to do with them. It's this, ugh. Then you have another basin mentioned in scripture. And it was a basin that Jesus used to wash the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. The Bible says he, he girded himself with a towel. And he bent down and he washed the disciples' feet by dipping the towel in a basin. One basin was used with just to wash themselves of this problem with humanity and wash themselves with, their, with these, these people's issues. And one was used to serve people, to love people who have issues, who have dirty feet. I'm going to challenge you, church. Let's take the basin that Jesus used and let's, let's live a life with that kind of view. Let's serve each other with, that, such, with such humility like that, that we understand it's about the gospel. My life here is about the gospel, loving people with a relentless love that says, I just want to portray Jesus to you. I want you and I to love people. I want to bring lost people from OSU to this church and experience authentic love. But we'll never have that if we're all self-centered, if we're all egocentric. And that we expect the people to orbit around us. And if they don't fit in with us, or if we don't authentically care about each other, you're never, that's not going to have love. That's not love. So I challenge us, let's take the second basin. And, and let's see, and don't, and speak well of the bride. Speak well of each other. Think well of each other. Don't ever, deliver. if somebody says, well, you're not going to believe it. You say, you're right, I'm not going to believe that. Unless I hear it from myself, I'm not going to believe that because I think better of that person. I know better of that person. And by the way, if they did that issue, if they committed that sin, go to them with love. 
go to them with love and say, listen, no matter what happens, I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I will always love you. Man, that's, that's the gospel in view. And that will be an incredible church. We will literally be biblical fellowship Baptist church. That's what it will be. You know, I'm going to um, close with this, this uh, statement, this, uh, this quote. Self-centeredness is always found in the heart of pride. So if you, if you say, I struggle with self-centeredness, I expect people to fit into my, that's pride. Self-centeredness is always found in the heart of pride. Humility is always found in the heart of the gospel. When you have the gospel in your heart, when your heart is full of the gospel, you're going to be humble. So I ask you, are you humble? Because if you're not, your vision's skewed. It's skewed. And you know how to fix it now. Prioritize the things that Jesus prioritized, the things that Jesus, people, the church, and portray the image of Jesus by allowing Christ to live his life through you.